Every time I get up to preach, the little kids run away. Starting to feel personally attacked. Kids are headed off to Sunday school to learn their lesson. They're actually, I don't know if you know this, they're learning the same lesson that we learn in here, just kind of at a children's level. Maybe one of these days we should just bring the kids in here and teach the kids' lesson for all of us. You definitely want that because we get crackers and juice after. Do we have playground time too? Yes. Absolutely. My friends, I want to tell you about a day. It was so hot. It was the hottest day that I've ever experienced. It was the most uncomfortable day I've experienced here in Arizona. You see, growing up in West Virginia, it got hot. But not the way Arizona gets hot. You get do you get how hot Arizona gets sometimes? Trudging down this desert road in southern uh, Arizona and heat of the early uh, heat of early September, it was beating down on us. It's a group of us that had gone dove hunting. The heat was so relentless; it was just sapping our motivation. We had all our gear with us and carrying it. We reached the point where we had drunk all of our water. We'd run out of water and realized that we had wandered way further than we had, ex- had planned on or expected. Now, it wasn't so bad. Town wasn't that far away, probably 10 miles. But that's 10 miles down desert roads. The good news was the truck was only about two miles away if we could get to it. Your throat's dry. You can barely breathe from the oppressive heat. There's a point when you stop sweating, where you start to feel dizzy and sick at your stomach, and you lift your canteen, just hoping beyond hope that there's a little bit more water in there. You hold it upside down for that last drip that is now almost boiling hot from being in your canteen, hoping beyond hope that it'll clench your thirst, but it doesn't. It just soaks into your dry tongue so fast that all it does is remind you how thirsty you are. We knew we'd, been, we'd be in trouble if we didn't get water soon. I've never been so thirsty. There's, there's this point where the thirst becomes a physical force. It's something present in your life, and it's the only thing you can think of. And even today... As I talk about this, as I was writing this sermon, I'm thinking about it. I remember that day. I remember being that thirsty. Our series that we're going through right now is called The Beatitudes. We call it The Broken Blessings. It's that part at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches. That beginning that kind of sets everything up. And this week we're talking about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. There's this picture that we've come along with this series, this broken and repaired bowl. This is the Japanese art called kintsugi, which means golden joining. And it's where you take a broken bowl or a broken cup or some other useful item that has been made unuseful because it's broken, and you repair it with gold. 
and it becomes an art form, the dish is more beautiful because it's been broken and repaired than it ever was before it was broken. We take that lesson in our Christianity and we're applying that, that because we are broken people and we know our brokenness, we are more beautiful having been repaired by Christ than we would have ever been if we'd never known Christ. And Jesus teaches this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and he just flips the world upside down. Now, our challenge has been through this series to read the Sermon on the Mount once a week. Everybody who's within the sound of my voice, if you're listening on the internet, if you're in this room, if you look it up later, read the Sermon on the Mount and just keep reading through it. You can read it once, twice, five times every day. I don't care, but at least once a week, read that Sermon on the Mount. Because the more you read it, the more it's going to confuse you. And the deeper you're going to get into it. And I hope you have questions. And if you have questions, Pastor David, Pastor Bernie, and myself, Pastor Roger, we'd love to be there for your questions. But keep reading it as we go through this beginning part and talk about what these Beatitudes, these blessings mean, because they're very weird blessings. This week, it's Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, let's be honest here. Living in the United States, there's very few of us who've truly felt hunger. Who've truly been so thirsty that there's no hope that we might get a drink soon. Some of us may have experienced these things a little bit, but through most of the world, through much of history, through all of the times described in the Bible, food and water were not always abundant. We've been in a drought here in Phoenix for decades. But I can walk down to Fry's and find food on the shelf. We've been in a drought for this time and I can walk out in that lobby and press the button on a water fountain and get water. So we don't truly understand how this looked to people who depended in faith on God to provide. When there was a drought going on, it was not just a discomfort. It was not just a financial issue. It was a life and death issue where you saw your livestock die and your crops die, and then you saw your children die. You saw your grandparents die. You saw the weakest die out of hunger or thirst. Death by starvation and thirst is ugly. It's, some, it's where you reach this point where you need something so badly that it's the only thing you can think of. The whole rest of everything in the world fades. If you offered a dying man power and fame, say, I know you're thirsty, but I can give you power and fame, he's going to go, what good is that? You take that dying man and you put a beautiful woman in front of him who offers all the earthly pleasures he could ever think of, and he's going to walk right past her on the search for water. You find that man dying of thirst and you hand him a wheelbarrow of gold. Say, hey, you can take all this gold in this wheelbarrow. You can be rich beyond belief. And he's going to leave that wheelbarrow by the side of the road as he goes and looks for that primary need of thirst. 
This verse is powerful because it speaks to the deepest needs and drives in us, deeper than anything else that distracts us in this world. Our hunger and our thirst, and he applies it to righteousness. Jesus taught this parable that kind of, I think, illustrates this really well. If you've been around Christianity for any length of time, you've heard this parable. You've heard a whole bunch of sermons and lessons preached on it. And I can tell you, you could spend a couple months preaching through the parable of the prodigal son. Because there's so much in there to get. Today, we're going to get something out of this. I'm going to read this to you if I can. I'm going to read from the message. Now, I don't go into the deep teaching by using the message, which is a translation that's meant to be very readable, almost like a book. But it's good for times like this because when Jesus tells a parable, he's telling a story. And he plants little seeds of wisdom in that story. This story that Jesus taught says, there once was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, I want my inheritance right now. Give me what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between his two sons, and the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country with all the money his father had given him. There in that country, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted every bit of what he had. After he had gone through all of his money, there was a bad famine throughout that country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with a farmer there who put him to work in the fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry he would have even eaten the slop that the pigs were getting, but no one would give him any food. This finally brought him to his senses, and he said, You know, all the farmhands back at my father's land sit down to three meals a day with the family, and here I am starving to death. I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against God, and I don't even deserve to be called your son. Could you take me on as a hired hand? So he decided. He got up right then and there and went home to his father. When he was a long way off, his father saw him. His father's heart pounding, he ran out and embraced his son and kissed him. The son started the speech that he'd prepared. He said, Father, I don't deserve to be called your son. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to his servants, quick, 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 bring clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and then get a fat calf and let's roast it and have a party. We're going to feast. My son is here. I'd given him up for dead, but now he's alive. Given up for lost, he's now found. As I said, the prodigal son has many lessons And there's more to the story. But right now we're going to focus on that hunger and that thirst. Because Jesus wasn't really talking about a boy off taking his money and spending it unwisely. Parables have the underlying meaning, the lesson that they're there to teach us. And Jesus taught this lesson specifically in response to some religious leaders who were complaining about him. More importantly, they weren't really complaining about Jesus. They were complaining about the people that he was teaching. The people that he was bringing around him and sharing the good news of God with. They were complaining about sinners. You know the kind. Those people. 
In this case, they were the tax collectors, traitors to their nation, who worked with the Romans to take money from the poorest of the poor in Israel. He was complaining about prostitutes, lepers, the people you'd never want to touch, moneylenders, the dregs of society, broken and sinful people that you just don't want around good religious people, right? No. Jesus called those people to him. I don't like the separation that sometimes we do. We say, talk about religion and relationship, and it looks good on a meme on Facebook or a little knitted sign or something, or a cross-stitch sign. I don't like that because we really, it really is a religion as well as a relationship. Two halves of the same coin. But what we think about when we talk about that division and what Jesus is talking about there are the haughty religious people, the prideful ones, the jerks. Let's be honest, we can call them what we can call them here. The people who use the good news of God to beat up other people, to tear them down, to say you're not good enough and you're never going to be good enough. In the funeral that I had to do yesterday, one of the things that hurt me the most was the story of this young man who had come to Christ later in his life, who'd come to Christ through addiction and pain and loneliness. And shortly before his death, he was so excited about having come to God, about knowing Christ. And he went with a group of people to a church exactly like the one that we're talking about here where they told him he wasn't good enough and he was never going to be good enough. And through that sermon that beat the sheep, which God willing, you'll never get here at Campbell. He came out of that three days before his death, discouraged, broken, unsure if Christ could ever love him. That's heartbreaking to me. The truth is, we'll never be good enough, and we are going to be honest about that. We need God. We need Christ in our lives. We need the salvation that comes from God. But that not being good enough is not a tool to beat people with. It's just a tool for us to recognize how much we need Jesus. To let us hunger and thirst for his righteousness. We've all met people like that. Amen. Jesus, in response to that type of person that would beat the sheep, that would push people down with religion, was to tell this story of the prodigal son, this young man who absolutely insulted his father, essentially slapped him in the face saying, I want my inheritance now. I don't care if you... If you don't want to give me the money now, I don't care about you really at all. I want the money and I want to leave. He then went and wasted that inheritance and reached the point where he was hungry and thirsting. And he, so he turns back to his father. He recognizes his need and, and thinks, man, I'll never be a good enough. I'll just walk back to my father and maybe, just maybe, he'll give me a crumb from his table. He'll give me a job that will support me. And what happens, my friends, when his father sees him? He runs to him. He embraces him. He throws a party and says, my son is back. Does that sound like 
that sheep-beating religion that people sometimes present? No. The kid hungered and thirsted, and God's response was to run back to him, arms open, grasping him. I just picture just running at him, grasping, lifting his son off the ground. And he doesn't care about this whole thing. You don't have to go telling me how bad you felt and all this stuff. He interrupts his son and says, bring the party, bring the clothes. Why? Because his son hungered and thirsted. Banquet of refreshment. The son is no longer hungry and no longer thirsty. All he had to do was start back and say, Dad, I need you. See, the Beatitudes, as we've been reading through them, it's not a to-do list. It's not something to burden yourself with. Jesus says that his burden's light. But I have heard the Beatitudes preached as a checklist of what you have to do and be. The Beatitudes are not about being religious people who pretend to have it all together. It's about being those who recognize their need. Because if I know the awful things that I've done in my life, if I know the mistakes I've made, if I know how often I've screwed up, I can't come and look at you and say, you should be like this. You should do this list of things. You should look a certain way and act a certain way. And if I'm pointing my finger at you, there's three fingers pointing back. No, I know my need for God. I want you to know your need for God. Because then together we can have this presentation, this view of God that welcomes other people in, who stumble through that door into this room, who stumble into our lives, and we can look at them and go, hey, let me tell you about God. I need him. And I would love to show you what that looks like. And then they're not feeling like you're pointing at them. They feel like you're a guide on a road to something better. See, the Beatitudes are not something we can emulate it ourselves. Once we recognize our need for God, he begins to produce the rest. The Beatitudes reveal this difference in values between who we are as believers and the rest of the world. Not that we're something better. Not that we should have our nose up in the air. Not that we should look down on anybody. No. Oh, friends, no. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we lift other people up and walk with them. We walk with each other together through the hard things. David, King David in Psalm 63, he had known real hunger and thirst. He was in the wilderness running from King Saul who was trying to hunt him down to kill him. But he wrote Psalm 63 where he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, I seek you. David was desperate for God. We too are desperate for God. And so this building crescendo that we see in the Beatitudes should speak to everything that's in our hearts. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will receive the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when you recognize your need and that you are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are we when we weep for the sin in our life as we realize how far from God we really are. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are you when you become humbled by the fact that you need God and thus aren't rising above other people. You're sitting down beside them. You're kneeling beside them to ask God. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. See, there's a Latin term, ordo salutis. It means the order of salvation. And and theologians discuss what order that is and what things are to be included in this, but I see one here. An order of salutis, an order of salvation. Not a to-do list. As you read back through these, you recognize that as we step through them, understanding that we're poor in spirit, mourning for our sin and our brokenness, uh, being meek and humble, and then hungering and thirst for righteousness. Each one of these comes with a promise, a blessing for recognizing our brokenness. And the blessing for hungering and thirsting for righteousness is you will be filled. God will run towards you as you turn to him. And he will hug you and welcome you in and provide for you in, in more ways than you'll ever know. He provides our salvation. He provides our spiritual uplifting. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you can find encouragement. You can find the strength to walk through those things that used to defeat you. And you can find encouragement when you can't beat things. When you're not winning, you at least know you have a Savior. And one day things will all be better. I love the picture in Psalm 23. I can bet most people have heard Psalm 23 at a funeral at some point in time. Um, I don't like it as a funeral piece because I like it as an encouragement through life. We're going to listen to the Psalm 23 in a minute, but it kind of culminates with this, I, with this statement, my cup runneth over. Have you heard that? Picture that cup and ice cold water when you're thirsty, just being dumped in so much that it overflows the top of that cup. See, I didn't tell you the rest of that desert story from the beginning. After walking without water for quite a long way and just being thirsty beyond belief, we came upon an irrigation pipe. This irrigation pipe was about I don't know, four to six inches around, and it came straight up out of the ground, came over, and then straight down, dumping into an irrigation dip, dish, ditch below where it could go out and feed all these cotton fields that we were in. And that water was blasting out of that pipe. It was going so fast and so strong, we ran up to this water. So I can tell you, when we saw that water, all the weariness went away and we ran towards it and got in under that water and filled our canteens and drank from it. And the water was gushing so fast out of this thing, it would push you back when you got under it. And it was so cold, it hurt. It was so refreshing, though, to finally wash off that heat and the dust and, and our thirst went away. 
from this jet of water. We, we filled our canteens, and it was so strong, it pushed your canteen out of the way. It was literally overflowing our canteens. I can't even describe the joy to you of how fun that is. We kind of messed around and played in the water and splashed. We were just trudging moments before, just, oh, gosh. And we got under that water, and we're pushing each other in the irrigation ditch and kind of playing around and splashing and being silly. I heard on the radio this week, they were talking about this bottle of Louis XIII brandy that sold for $40,000 for a tall bottle of brandy. You could have offered me that brandy that day, and I would have chosen the water. Here's some lesson here. There are people thirsting around you that don't know it. They're trying everything possible to quench that thirst in their life. And they don't even know what they're thirsting for. They need us to tell them the gospel. They need us to introduce them to God so that they know, oh, that's what I was thirsting for. That makes a difference. That's what I desperately need. Now, the easy thing for me to do would be to stop right there and talk about them. But I need to recognize in my own life that I screw it up when I try to run it myself. I know I need to recognize my need for God and turn to Him constantly. I keep turning back. Because unfortunately, the broken side of me keeps wanting to turn another way and find something else. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to hunger and thirst for a relationship with God because God gives us the righteousness through Jesus Christ. I invite you to turn from the brokenness of the world and turn towards God and share that brokenness and then hope with others. Let them be that kintsugi bowl filled to overflowing, the water just pouring over the edges. Sometimes when I preach, I find that the call to action in the, pre- in the sermon is not really a call to action at all. Sometimes it's just a call to rest, a call to be filled, a call to be satisfied, a call to accept God's grace and love. Hunger and thirst for his righteousness and let him fill the thirst in you. Seek him in prayer. Seek him in scripture. Seek him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I promised you, your cup will be filled. I'd like to invite you this morning as we finish up here to close your eyes for a moment to picture the things in your life that you know are in your way that are blocking you from God or drawing you away. The screw-ups, the material things, the pride, the selfishness, broken relationships, whatever it is. And I want you to picture them right now with your eyes closed. In the driest desert valley you can see, maybe somewhere off of I-17 northwest of Phoenix where there's no water for miles, where there's just sand and stone and dust and heat. Now keep your eyes closed and picture the words of Psalm 23 that we're going to read through here in a minute. 
Picture green fields of grass and placid lakes of cool water. Picture friends joyously sitting down to banquets of food and so much refreshment your cups are spilling over. We need God, and if we recognize that thirst for God, we will be filled by his promise. Now, if you would keep your eyes closed, the words of Psalm 23 will help release you of that thirst.